Hello and welcome to episode number one of the Lost Dice Cast, a podcast about all aspects of tabletop gaming from LostDice.com. My name is Jason. I'm Bill. And I'm Richie. And in each episode, we'll discuss what we've been playing and anything new and noteworthy in the tabletop gaming hobby. Um, so I guess to get started, we'll start with just a brief bit about us and the blog. Um, seeing as this is episode number one, um, all of us... <laughs> See, this is going to be rough. Oh, you're um, doing just fine. <laughs> this is this is going to be um, a podcast that we're going to try and do here and there. Now and again, we're going to see how it works out. Um, the blog is kind of about really just us exploring the hobby, talking about what we love. And the one unique aspect we're kind of trying to bring is a perspective um, coming at it as new parents. We all have young children, and it has definitely infringed upon our ability to keep up with the hobby. So that's been interesting from, I guess, that standpoint at least. Yeah, we're um, we've been doing a lot of game stuff for a long, long time. Um, I would say, you know, collectively many years worth of uh, game playing. Uh, we each kind of have uh, our own focus and, and things that we like in within the hobby. Uh, personally, I, I lean towards the miniature games. Uh, Jason leans towards board games, and Rich is definitely um, heavy into RPGs. Although we all dabble in all of these different things, uh, we just kind of have you know, lean towards the things we favor and the things we really like. And that's kind of what we want to talk about. Yeah, great. Um, so, I mean, why don't we just go right into talking about what we've been playing or I guess in your case, Bill, working on lately? Yeah. Um, so lately, um, I really only have time to do some painting when I can get a chance to do it. Um, you know, whether it's a, just a chance to do some airbrushing on some miniatures, uh, Currently, uh, I have on the shelf a handful of projects I'm trying to just finish, uh, which is harder than it sounds uh, most of the time, but I've got a couple of units of uh, Kings of War miniatures uh, from Mantic Games uh, for the Abyssal Dwarf Army. They've literally been half-painted for uh, two years now. Um, they're the last few units remaining in this large army I have um, that I've not been able to finish uh, due to kids. And time constraints and work, um, which is a lame excuse. Uh, so, picking up uh, the brush. It is, in the last... but it isn't. Yeah, picking up the brush in the last few weeks uh, has felt nice, even though it's doing silly things like you know painting brown bases and finishing like a few details, like painting the belts on the back of uh, you know the unit and stuff like that. It really just the minor details that it takes to finish up the stuff, uh, but it feels good. Um, and uh, the other project that uh, is sitting right next to it that is left to finish here is actually um, uh, tied into the uh, latest D&D campaign that we just wrapped up, uh, where I have figures for the majority of our party. Uh, and I forgot about those. <laughs> yeah, like, and I started painting them, like, but like, like they've got a base coat, and I've done some other stuff, and I started picking out colors. But I've, again, finding time has been really tricky, and I've kind of bummed the campaign wrapped up because I was hoping to have a little like diorama built with our dudes on it um, as a as a memoir or a uh, keepsake for uh, the, the quantity of time we spent on that campaign I don't even how long did we run that for Richie that campaign ran us roughly two years Damn. now granted that was about one session a month and that's the other thing too is that um, you know most of our group has all kind of and we're so we're all um, from Wisconsin 
and a large part of the group is originally from Wisconsin, but everybody's kind of spread out across the country. So we do use Roll20, um, and we do run a D&D 5e campaign through there. But yeah, we were we were only doing it about once a month. Every once in a while, twice a month. That was super special. Ideally, uh, we, but not often. <laughs> yeah, we went through two campaigns. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely long running and i was pretty stoked when you went through the exercise of finding all those miniatures to match up with everyone's characters that was pretty cool yeah i mean that that is just something that i've you know that, that's an old habit um it was something we always did playing D in middle school and high school um mostly because we were playing warhammer and other miniature games at the time where it was just like oh, i'm gonna make this character i really like this character in you know mordheim or warhammer fantasy I'm just going to make, you know, recreate my hero in D&D as this guy and check it out. I got a sweet figure that matches this dude, um, you know, and that was, you know, just one of those habits. We didn't even back then, we really didn't play with much more than like um, a dry erase board or um, dry erase mat, you know, with a grid on it. We didn't really have, you know, terrain or anything fancy with it. But uh, that was always something that every so often we would set up bigger scenarios and, you know, use the D&D rule set to reenact those things. And that is something I, I miss from, you know, digitally playing D&D. The rest of it is all still just as exciting and fun. But that, that's that's where that thing comes from, where it's just like I'm, I'm bored one evening and I go, hey, it, oh, that figure looks just like Jason's weird little gnome guy from the Underdark. It was not weird. It was very weird. <laughs> Definitely he was weird. weird. Yeah. He was the hero. Yeah, right. But, but those are the things that, you know, <laughs> that's those are the appealing things of that it's like you know i have you know everybody's got their imaginary picture of what their character looks like and we you know try to draw some of that out by putting in a you know an avatar and into roll 20 and stuff like that but it's not the same as like no this is this is me this is my guy and this is my party and these are the guys with me um there's you know there's something about that that i always find appealing oh, absolutely it would have been great to get everybody together for an in-person game but that just never panned out, but still glad you got the miniatures anyway. Yeah, it's definitely tough. Cool. Well, um, kind of playing off of that, um, we are in between D and D campaigns currently. Um, and yes, in place are. of our D and D session last week, um, three of us from the group played something called the Quiet Year, um, which was pretty neat. Basically, what that is, it's a GM GMless um, RPG where the group plays a small community living in sort of a post-apocalyptic setting. Um, the game takes place over the course of a year. You play through four seasons, and each each week of the year is represented by one of these cards that you draw, and the person gets to um, read this card, and they may have a choice they have to make, and then um, they... Um, it really, those cards, the choices were exquisite. I mean, seriously, some of those scenarios that came up were absolutely ridiculous. And some of them really, they were really hard to choose between the either or the or. Yeah, so it was I really interesting. I was going to say, so I didn't get a chance to, to join you guys. Uh, do the cards just offer you, like, um, like choose options A through F, and you, you help you know, drive your story that way? Typically it's two it, options. I actually have a couple of them in front of me here. So for like example, it says you could draw a card that says someone new arrives who, or two of the community's younger members get into a fight. What provoked them? So you make that choice and maybe represent it on the map. I guess I didn't even mention that it's a, it's a map drawing game. Um, so if you're playing in person, everybody has a sheet of paper in front of them. 
Um, and you're using that sheet of paper to draw on the map, sort of like a game you'd play when you were a little kid. Um, you're drawing symbols or different um, you know, buildings or anything like that that you're experiencing in the game. And um, so if, if you draw a card, <laughs> you guys, oh, I apologize. So really, <laughs> you're fine. So it was, I don't know, it's pretty cool because it, it's like you said, it's like when, you know, you'd be little, you'd be playing, you're just like, hey, and then I draw this thing and then I live here and then this happens here. And you just basically, it's like an exercise in just telling this story together about this place. And now, is it always like a post-apocalyptic kind of scenario or is that just what we did? Sorry, can you say that again? Is it always like a post-apocalyptic kind of scenario, or is that what we just happened to do this last time? Um, I think that's the general setting of the game, and I think all of the cards... I mean, so we also didn't finish the game because it got a little long for us, but um, I yeah, think the Brian latter half of the sleepy. game starts to get a little more bleak. Um, so I think it is generally post-apocalyptic. Um, I mean, that's the the setting of the game when it sets up. It says we were at war with the jackals for you know however long, and we have a year until the frost shepherds arrive. So even just from the very description of the game, it's kind of a kind of bleak at some point. Yeah. So we roughly had so we had all these bleeding animals coming from an abandoned um, military base that was off to the east, and we had a bunch of young upstarts that said "screw you, old people," and they all wound up heading to the north and starting a commune a sexy commune of some sort i would assume but and then we <laughs> yeah, then we wound up hitting a point where basically like our whole surviving civilization was based around this abandoned high school and so like having a bus that worked became like a sign of being a really relevant community and we were a two bus town so that was a really big deal <laughs> yeah, it was definitely funny. There was lots of little jokes. I know in the rules it talks about, you know, don't get too out of control with, you know, little comments out of turn and things like that. But I think that that really helps to build um, build the story and make it really interesting. I don't think we so, got too out of turn with the comments. I think that was all pretty much just like as a result of it. It was, I don't know, it got pretty <laughs> Let he had sub points because at one point we were talking about everything because everything was in terms of bus lengths because that was how we understood distance the best. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fun. I definitely think it'd be something that um, people that just want to sit around and tell an interesting story should check out. So, like, what's the like? I guess to wrap this up, like, how do, what is this, what's the end game scenario for this? Like, how do you, how do you come to completion? Is there a win condition or a, a, a point at which you stop? There is, there, there definitely is an end point. Um, there's no like win condition or anything like that. So like I mentioned, the game takes place in four seasons. Um, and each one is actually a suit of playing cards each season. So there's 13 cards in each season. Um, gotcha. And, when the King of Spades is drawn in winter, the game ends. So each season is shuffled at the beginning. Um, so once winter hits, you don't actually know when the game will end. You just know that it'll happen in one of the next 13 turns. Interesting. Yeah, so really, it's seriously just a collaborative storytelling game where you really are just drawing a map and telling a story about whatever the hell's on the map. 
So it's a fun divergence of having to play something necessarily where, you know, you win or you lose. You're just, just kind of hanging out. Good way to flex story. your creative muscles. That sounds neat. And I'm sure beer would make it more hilarious or even harder to play, hard to say. All right, well, why don't we move on to uh, what you've been playing, Richie? <laughs> well, I've been playing or trying to play a lot of Candyland with my daughter. <laughs> she just turned three, and um, I, I really, really am starting to hate Candyland. And so is she, fortunately. So um, <laughs> it's really hard to find games that work well with young kids. So Jason had actually suggested, and I'm probably going to butcher the way it's pronounced, Haba. I think that's right. Yeah, it's a German company. It's it's one of those companies where they make a lot of they, they make a lot of stuff um, you know, for youth, like really young kids, um babies even. They have like infant toys, a lot of learning stuff, a lot of the stuff made out of wood. So, you know, it's it's kind of more of those kinds of toys. And um what I did wind up ordering is I just heard um Animals Upon Animals and My First Orchard, I think it is. So, those are both like 2 years plus, 3 years plus. No, no, three years plus and four years plus. So it should be, it should be right within that range. But um, yeah, I mean, Candyland is interesting because what I experience with her, is she just starts getting really pissed off at one point because it's like that's it's, how it's you're almost supposed to play Candyland, right? I, think that's I don't the rules. think the other way. Cause <laughs> yep. It's it's like it's like it's too structured. It's like it hits a point where she doesn't even care about drawing the cards anymore. She just really wants to start like doing other things with the cards, and she just loses focus. We can make it mostly to the end of the game, but it's oh my god! Like it, she must tell that I'm just damn well over it at some point. Yeah, kids feed off that. Like we. Yeah, me and I played um, uh, Candyland, and uh, like as long as she's actively progressing in the game, and we keep it moving, like usually between just the two of us, it's not so bad. But if you throw like my wife and her and I in the game, two other people going before she gets to go again is too long. So she gets impatient yeah. with the fact that she has to wait for both mom and dad to go, um, and that makes the game devolve into you know not paying attention but for a three-year-old that's not super surprising no no because it always it's really strong and then after a while there's just little plastic gingerbread men everywhere and they're dancing with each other on the board and i've just given up and that's fine that's totally fine i've also been <laughs> i've also been playing um not frequently but i did pick up uh Catan dice at target which i do kind of love the fact that now you can get like actually decent games at target and then sometimes they go on sale so that's even cooler um Catan dice it's really just like modified yahtzee but it still kind of feels like Catan. so i mean i don't really have great depths to go into it and where it really feels a lot like Catan is that i lose most of the time too so it's staying true to the board game for me sweet yeah i haven't played that one that's one that i would definitely try at some point um, it's not expensive game, uh, worth grabbing just to have around it's a good like i'm a place where i can't really set up a large game and i just want to do something quick nice yeah the other thing that i've been playing i actually just got in the mail last week is a game called yoko yokohama um and that is it's pretty interesting it's a um a game where you are playing like merchants in Japan, old Japan, um, and on the board is made up of a whole bunch of different tiles, almost an intimidatingly large amount of tiles and lots of different symbols and things like that. 
Um, and you're moving these merchants around on the board and placing these assistants that kind of create a path for you. Um, so as you place these assistants, then you have to move um, your, your president, he's called, um, along the board following these paths that you lay out. And you're kind of competing for spaces and building buildings. And there's probably 10 different ways to get points. And it's, it's really interesting. Oh, cool. Oh, a total like economy kind of game? Yeah, kind of. It really gives me a similar feel, even though it's nothing like it, um, to the game Castles of Burgundy. I don't know if either of you guys have played that, but that's another game where you're kind of stringing combos together and just scoring points in almost everything that you do. Um, and Yokohama is definitely one that does that as well. I haven't played Castles, but I have played games where you get that similar chain effect where you're really just trying to come up with that best combo move. Neato. Makes it. Um, it's made by Tasty Minstrel Games. It's actually, the, the I got it through Kickstarter, and um, it's a deluxe edition of the game, and it's kind of neat. All of the uh, upgraded components, there's a lot, even the um, some of the little resource pieces are screen printed, which I don't oh, know nice. that I've seen that in a, in a game before. So is, that's, is that really unique nice. to the Kickstarter version, or like what kind of perks did you see out of that particular one? I believe I believe it's unique to that. Um, so what's unique to the deluxe edition? All of the resources are all wood as opposed to cardboard pieces. There's metal coins in the box, which are some of the nicest metal coins I think I've seen um, in a game yet. Um, there's something called foreign agents. I think those are cardboard in the basic version too. It's just lots of upgrades to make the box really heavy, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of like quality uh, production into the Kickstarter version. Yeah, definitely. I'm yeah, really very impressed cool. with the quality yeah. of it. Yeah, screen printed parts are always nice to have in games. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting that played more often and trying to play it with more than just two. Like I said, the downside, though, is even with two players, there is almost an intimidatingly large number of tiles and symbols laid out on the board in front of you, and that increases even more with more players. So it'll be interesting. Um, all right, so I think we can kind of go into some other topics that we wanted to talk about. Um, Bill, you wanted to talk about Adepticon this year. Yeah. Um, so actually, uh, Richie and I both ended up going to yes. Adepticon this year in Illinois. Um, the conventions have been something that have been a little trickier lately. Um, they are harder to get to uh, with other obligations, you know, and all that stuff. But uh, getting to Adepticon is something I always enjoyed uh, going to. Uh, for those that don't know, Adepticon is. Um, one of the largest miniature-based, um, you know, conventions that is out there. It's host to one of the largest, or maybe might even possibly be the largest uh, 40k tournament, um, amongst a bunch of other stuff. What I love about Adepticon is that it's beautiful to see the how it's been growing because the the vendor turnout is way bigger this year than it's ever been. The con itself has grown. They've relocated to accommodate, and it's still free to get into. You can buy a badge to help support the cause, but n there's no cost to get in the door. It's free? I didn't know that. That's yeah, pretty awesome. You only really need a badge to basically participate in events, uh, do some of the the off-hour stuff. The, there's like bits trading and some other stuff where there's like open vendors. Um, it, what's nice about it is that, um, you know, they're – 
there's really a lot um, to offer there. It's not just all Warhammer, all Games Workshop products um, and, and that sort of thing. There's definitely a lot of other smaller um, vendors out there and in games, um, which is, you know, appealing to me. Uh, when you go to something like Gen Con or any of the other big um, conventions that are out there, it tends to be lost in a sea of other games and, and things that are, you know, revolving around it. Um, you know, at a Gen Con, for example, you can go buy yourself a kilt, a leather pouch to hold water and go play a board game. Um, but there's also some miniature vendors there. Um, Adepticon's focus is purely miniature gaming and it's, uh, something that, you know, of course, you know, appeals to me. Um, we, you know, definitely managed to, you know, see quite a bit only being able to go there for a day. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it has grown quite a bit. Uh, from what I understand, we we should have pre-registered uh, for a badge because they were straight up handing out tons of stuff this year. Um, yeah, that was a big like mess. To, yeah, I, like from what I understand, uh, uh, Fantasy Flight Games dropped a copy for every person who pre-ordered a badge. Uh, dropped a copy of Rune Wars, like new entering. Wow. wow. Play our game, please. <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're trying super hard. Um, they've been trying pretty hard with miniature games. Uh, X-Wing is a testament to that. If you've paid attention to the X-Wing miniatures game uh, over the last few years, um, they want to be in that market because um, they have pretty much have the facilities and the capabilities to make some really nice miniature games. And this is their first big uh, uh, foray into tabletop wargaming. And it looks interesting. Um, I'm you know, it, a younger version of me would be super keen on trying a new game. Uh, current me is not interested at all because <laughs> I don't have the time or the opponents to even try this sort of game yet. Um, you know, so, you know, that my opinion will swing back the other direction at some point, I'm sure. Um, but that was just one of the things. Uh, they also were handing out straight out full rule books for a handful of other miniature games. Uh, um, you know, like here's a hardcover copy of this, you know, rule set. That's uh, some pretty nice stuff. Um, and it's, you know, it's part of the appeal. Um, you know, they also tend to have a lot of convention um, unique miniatures and that sort of thing, um, and a lot of you know vendors that are bringing small runs of miniatures, which is something that I always find appealing in terms of finding a niche thing, uh, finding a very specific miniature for a particular um, army or character that you're looking for is always neat. Um, you know, some people you know prefer to go to the big vendors like Games Workshop and just hope they can find a whole army of themed things. Sometimes I'm just looking for one extra halfling hero to fit in my army and it's nothing you know nothing you're going to find at um you know basically anywhere but online it's kind of the only place you can really shop for that stuff so it's nice to have that that option there and and then obviously it's the the main appeal is walking around seeing tons and tons of painted miniatures uh the painting contest is unreal like uh, it's I, I don't know how i can consider myself a painter of miniatures compared to a lot of these dudes well you do and ladies that do that stuff <laughs> you do pretty damn good i mean you do way better than i managed to do but speaking of pretty painted miniatures if you do happen to amble over to www.lostdice.com we did do a post and really anywhere we do wind up going we do take pictures and as many pictures as we can and we always try to just post the best pics we get from that um, and we do have an uh, Adepticon 2017 gallery um, with kind of the highlights from what we saw. And there are, is quite a bit of the uh, uh, pictures from the Cool Mini or Not um, competition that they always uh, have running there every year. Yeah, yeah. in general, like um, Adepticon is, is definitely fun. And I'm not sure um, on the convention topic. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it to Gen Con this year or not. But I'd, no. I'd like to go because it's the, it's the 50th. Right, um, right. And, it, you know, it's 
obviously it's still a bummer it's not in wisconsin but that convention is is still fun to go to there's something about going there with that many people all into gaming and and all you know enjoying themselves and and, and enjoying the hobbies that you know that then the overlap of the hobbies that exist it's always cool. right right well, this year was my first year back to a con in a while since having the kiddo, so I only anticipate more uh, con going as the time ticks on here. Some year I'll probably join you guys at Adepticon, but this wasn't it. Someday. <laughs> Soon. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, there's even sections now for, you know, there, there's board gaming areas and and uh, I, I, there I believe there's a couple of role-playing groups, um, you know, some of that stuff. Like, it's Adepticon's getting big enough. I mean, they even have a costume contest now. So, I mean, it's one of those things like it's growing, and as it grows, it'll bring in a lot of the other aspects of of this kind of hobby with it. Um, but hopefully, it keeps its focus on miniatures because that's frankly what's most appealing for me. So, I mentioned a little earlier Kickstarter, um, and Bill, it seems like me and you are often talking about Kickstarter and just how companies are using that kind of as their primary business model. Um, we just thought we could talk about some of the things that we are seeing that interest us or things that we've backed or maybe things that we've received. Yeah, I can lead off on that. I like I, I do back a bunch of Kickstarters, but I what I what I end up doing is I end up finding myself purposely filtering for not big companies. I, I like when I'm looking at stuff, I go, oh, that's from a company that already makes tons of money. Why just let me order the game later? Um, but uh, what I do find appealing um, uh, about it is that I, I've been able to find a handful of uh, vendors uh, and literally mom and pop shop kind of miniature makers um, uh, on Kickstarter. I don't know that it would be possible without that um, or that I would ever know they exist unless I happen to live in Europe. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely something that's, that's pretty appealing. Um, but uh, one of the, one of the things, one of the projects I have uh, is building a halfling army, um, which is hard to do because there isn't really one company that actually makes a bunch of halflings. Um, but there's a handful of companies that have been making different halfling adventurers, halfling, um, goat riders, halfling rooster riders, all kinds of different miniatures. Um, and I've been slowly able to back a bunch of Kickstarters that have produced an entire army. And the quality has been decent um, on all those, hasn't it? Uh, mostly. Um, there are some that are kind of crap. Um, but you know, uh, some of that comes from like, clearly these were, you know, resin miniatures poured in this dude's basement or in this guy's garage. Right. You know I mean? Like it's not, you know, like these are, there, there's a, I don't know how to describe it. It's there's a handmade quality and it's pretty obvious. Um, and I have more patience than I probably should with some of that stuff. Like, cause I, I can certainly fix a lot of stuff. If there's a little hole or a bubble that appeared in the, the cast, like I can fix that stuff. Um, my personal preference is to not have to do that, but sometimes you can't win that, you know, can't win everything. So, but they were made um, with I'll love. <laughs> kind of. I, I mean, that's, that's definitely how it feels. <laughs> I mean, because like again, like the the for, so the latest one I backed was uh, from a company called Midlam 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 Miniatures. Uh, I believe they're out of the UK. Um, it's a, a mom and pop. It's two people that make it from based on the posts and the things that they send out. They're making six halfling adventurers and also the sleeping slash dead version of said halfling guys. So okay. there's like you know there's for example there's a female halfling adventurer with a sword in her hand. 
And then there's a sleeping slash dead female halfling adventure laying on the ground, face down. So like, I, like for me, and uh, given that I'm a fan of the Kings of War rule set, those will be my wound tokens right, um, right. for the game, and they'll be corpses because that's kind of neat. So, um, you know, definitely something that's you know a niche. You know, right now, this their goal was uh, 600 pounds. They're at 6,000 pounds. Um, there's okay. 165 backers. So these guys are, that appeals to clearly 165 of us apparently want to buy dead halfling miniatures. Um, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, for me, that's the appeal of, um, you know, Kickstarter. I, in the same company that I'm going to play this, use these miniatures for in their game, Kings of War, like Mantic's been going back to the trough like crazy to, you know, get more money out of it. So it feels more like a business plan. And I'm, I'm not as keen on it, but I still like Mantic's products, but like I kind of wish they'd just put up a pre-order and let me buy it off their site. But that's a whole other gripe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so you mentioned companies, you know, going back to the trough. One that I just backed recently um, was Rising Sun from Cool Mini or Not. I was actually fortunate enough to win this copy of the game um, through a local raffle. Um, but I'm pretty excited about it. It's a miniature dudes on a map type game from Eric Lang, who did other games like Blood Rage or Chaos in the Old World, all pretty highly regarded games of that type. Um, but that's not estimated for delivery until April sometime. Um, another game I backed recently. April was, this year or next year? No, next oh year. Oh my God. I would say so like any day, but holy man. <laughs> yeah, no, they did a lot of things that I didn't really like in the Kickstarter campaign. For example, one thing as a rule of mine is that if I'm going to back something, um, they always need to have a rule book. And that was not the case until well into the campaign, which I think is pretty sloppy, especially for a big company like that, but didn't matter. People threw money at it anyways. It had lots of shiny pieces in it, right? New miniatures, new fancy things. Which actually, all um, of this is pretty great. This whole, like, I don't know, the whole Kickstarter thing. I haven't, I've actually never backed a Kickstarter. Being fully transparent, never done it once. Might do it at some point, but. It's it's not a required thing. The I think a lot of it, too, is it hit pop culture pretty hard. Like, And it, and it wasn't just, you know, board games and miniatures. The stuff we're interested in, obviously. Oh, right. Um, you know, like, but it was things that are, are um, you know, kind of loosely related i mean 3d printing got a take on it um a lot of gadgets and widgets and watches and all that kind of stuff are are appearing on there and people are interested in that stuff and and uh, like you know at a at a low level like it feels like i can help this this dude's little company you know produce miniatures and do his thing and i'm I'm presuming i'm kind of helping him make a living i don't know maybe this guy's got another job somewhere but i like you know if if it's helping out little companies like this actually get their name out and do this stuff that's fine i I think that's a that's a good aspect of it but you know you got you got these you know you got large corporations coming i mean cool mini or not's a pretty massive business at this point and so like like they could certainly probably support the R&D, you know, and that's that's me making up a bunch of stuff and assuming a bunch of things, but I bet they can handle making that Rising Sun game on their own. Um, this is just a way to, to put hype around it, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah, they're just um, going to where their audience is. And, I mean, strategically it makes yeah. a lot of sense, but where the whole Kickstarter hype could be really helpful is potentially for me in the future. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit is a board game design I am starting, I've been posting about, I think I have three posts up on the site now, 
Uh, it's been something I've been kicking around for a while. It's actually kind of, it's an idea that kind of stemmed from the desire to kind of build a dungeon crawl that was really randomized. Well, now, obviously, that's been done to death. And when I first came up with the idea, it was a little bit more fresh. So now it was kind of a, how do I take this old idea and kind of refresh it to be something a little bit more exciting? So I've done a few posts about that now. Um, and I'm going to continue to post about it. It's kind of my explore through an attempt at game design because it's, it's like a bucket list thing for me. It's like whether this goes anywhere or not, whether it gets big, whether it's a Kickstarter I can do or hopefully it sees success or if it just winds up being this project that I happen to do where it's something where we all sit down together and we play it and we have a good time with it and it's something we break out every once in a while you know that could be good enough for me it doesn't have to be some wild raging success that makes me a millionaire because that's not real life um but the whole premise of the idea is kind of um i so spoilers i mean bill and jason know this i am a bit of a nintendo fanboy um, there's no hiding that, <laughs> really? uh, but the game that has always stuck with me the most has been the very first Legend of Zelda game, and I distinctly remember playing it for the first time when I was little, and I remember just kind of like the feeling of being out in this world, going screen to screen, knowing that somewhere in the wilderness there was a dungeon, but you might not necessarily know where you're going to find the next one. Well, I kind of want the game to have that same kind of feel, where you can be a party of people, you're, you're going around a wilderness that plays a little different every time you're trying to find a dungeon and then the dungeon is kind of this different maze every single time but i also want to bring in his mechanics that keep pressure on the players keep them forced to move make choices between stopping to find a cool item and just keep pressing on to not risk getting overwhelmed by waves of enemies um coming at them in this randomized adventure where they don't necessarily know where the right place to be next is going to be. So um, keep an eye on the site and I guess follow my progress. I've also been um, trying to post as well to the uh, game design subreddit, um, board game subdesign, uh, board game design subreddit on Reddit. So, um, you know, follow along for the adventure and let's see if I'm successful or if I let this completely fall in the back burner and don't do anything with it so am i am i required to back your kickstarter when it happens um i of think course. that would be appreciated and i will be a one dollar option <laughs> you know i would take it i'm gonna get a free copy for being a play tester yeah, me too <laughs> no i'm pretty excited to see where that ends up though um i know i'm constantly throwing ideas at you for it like oh this could be cool and oh this thing could be cool and uh It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, because I will be definitely leaning on you guys um, as I keep going on. And I do, like, at some point in time, I really need to just sit down and start testing some of the mechanics. But, again, it's like, you know, it's and, and that's where it's fun and I just do it when I have time and I can sit down and really enjoy doing it. I try to keep it moving because if there's one thing I found and there's one bit of advice I can give to anyone with any hobby you're doing anything whether you're writing whether you're trying to design something or you're painting something it's like man just do a little bit each day because if you just take five minutes and do just a little bit each day you know a month later you've all of a sudden accomplished way more than had you done nothing or waited for that big span of time because you never know when that next big open day is going to show up where you can just sit down and dive into a hobby like that or a project 
And as a procrastinator, I can tell you that's 100% true. <laughs> hey <-oh. laughs> Nice. Alright, so we like to end the show with what we're looking forward to in gaming, and I think all of us have the same thing coming up that we're all looking forward to. Not true. Change my mind. <laughs> okay, uh, well, two of the three of us. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so there's a Games Workshop uh, is with a large miniature gaming company out there. They released a game um, recently called Shadow War Armageddon. Um, and it was a big box game, big box style game. Uh, it came with uh, terrain miniatures, rule set, the whole nine yards. Uh, but what was really appealing is that it was, um, that it kind of mimics or is a spiritual successor to a game that is uh, easily one of the best miniature games out there, uh, Necromunda, uh, which I am still a huge fan of. I, that is one of my all-time favorite games and rule sets to play. Um, it has, uh, there's a lot of appeal there, we'll just say that. Um, so when I uh, heard they were doing a, a new release and uh, Shadow War Armageddon happened to be kind of this next iteration um, and, you know, a, kind of a slimmed down rule set version of that game, I got very excited because one of the appealing things of, of uh, Necromunda was the persistence, the, the ongoing campaign portion of it where you could take your starter gang and guys would get better, guys would die, they'd get horrible injuries but still be able to, you know, hobble along or they'd still, you know, they'd be able to shoot but they lost an eye so they shoot worse than before. Stuff like that was um, a very, very appealing thing inside of um, um, playing Necromunda and, and gaming in general. I've only... uh, because every time we got back, it came, it felt like, okay, there's, there's a story here. Your gang went through this story of fighting these other gangs and doing these things and accomplishing or, or accomplishing things or completely getting wiped out, depending on what happened. Um, and you know, the, the rule set was pretty brutal and, um, and it had some weird quirks about it. Um, so the fact that they've kind of come up with something new and some of these, these core functions back that I really like, is appealing, uh, except for the part where I can't buy the thing because uh, Games Workshop hates my money. Yeah, they do. Uh, I've only like, played it a handful of times with you, and it's been a while, but it, this even gets me excited. Yeah, I mean, the the appealing part is, um, I, I, like, it, it's yeah. I own a lot of miniatures. Um, I own the majority of the Necromunda figures. So right now it would be pretty easy to uh, just have some dudes over on the weekend and go through two or three rounds and start building a story and, and not have to have everybody worry about getting stuff and buying miniatures and building a terrain, which is not appealing to a lot of folks that um, aren't into miniature games. You know, like the That whole aspect is something that is a put-off for some, um, which is, um, for me, I don't mind all that. I, that's the part I enjoy, but... For others, raising my hand in the yeah, corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it leads us into the next thing. Like uh, so, this weekend, um, I'll kind of start it off. We're uh, I'm finally going to get a Games of Kings of War, and uh, we have not, I haven't done this in a year. No, a little less. Um, last summer was the last time I had a chance yep. to play Kings of War at my house, um, and uh, it's you know it's exciting and, and terrifying at the same time because um, I you know it, I. Will I remember the rules? Will I can I get all the stuff put together? I wanted to get some stuff finished painting, but work's a pain in the butt. So what do you do? Um, but yeah, uh, the the neat part about it is uh, you guys obviously both be coming over to do some gaming this weekend. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Miniature games are always something I've kind of just been on the periphery of. I know that's something you've always been really into, and I tried to get into that um, with you guys with War Machine and Hordes, and I'm just assembling stuff and painting stuff isn't 
isn't where my interest is in the hobby, so I never really got that into it. But I'm looking forward to taking a look at Kings of War, especially with a simpler rule set, supposedly. Um, I think it'll be really fun. Yeah, I'm, Kings of War um, is appealing because it's simple, because we can put we can fill up an entire table with stuff, be done in a few hours, and then go grill out and drink beers or whatever. Right. And it, it's, <laughs> it's, say, let's not forget you're making tacos. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally making tacos. But <laughs> that's the appealing part of it is like we can still have a grand like there. Part of miniature gaming um, appeal to me is it's a spectacle. Like it, this looks neat. Um, you you know you don't necessarily have to know what is going on. Um, uh, you know, and most of the time you don't know what's going on because it's just a bunch of stuff on a table with dice and rulers and you know tape measures and shit like that. It gets overwhelming to some folks, and you know sometimes for me, like just walking up to like especially Adepticon, you walk up to a table and it's just like, okay, they built this scene. This is a thing that's happening. Um, you know, uh, I've, that's always been you know part of the appeal it is is how it looks. It's always fun. But uh, yeah, for some, like, definitely like yourself, Jason, it, it's not an appealing thing to sit down and put things together and paint them and whatever. And speaking of which, you should probably go get that Ruin Wars game so I can try it with you, but then I don't have to buy it. Not saying anything, <laughs> but... Uh, because Fantasy Flight sells it, it doesn't qualify as a miniatures game. Well, no, there's no assembly. <laughs> I mean, you put guys on a base, but there's, from what I can tell, there's really no, um, there's no big assembly chunks to it. Or at least that's how it looked on the table. I didn't actually pull a box apart, but... That was the impression I got. But anyways, yeah, uh, so this weekend we've got uh, the the matchup will be um, the Abyssal Dwarves and uh, their slave orc allies. Not really allies, but um, my brother's uh, orc army will be part of part of the slave side. Um, and then on the other side, we're going to have a, a three-way matchup, or a three, three-person team. Uh, the dwarves have had some things stolen from them, and uh, they're trying to get it back and reclaim a piece of territory. Uh, and they brought the ogres and the humans with them, so that'll be something we probably take a handful of pictures of and maybe do a quick post and write up on how the scenario went, what it was, and what happened. It won't be a battle report or anything, just kind of a write up of us finally actually getting a game in. Um, and uh, it should be fun. I do really like that you put some story in behind it. That automatically makes it a little more interesting. I know any games that I'd ever played in the past are kind of just, okay, set up your dudes, smash them into each other, game over. So this already. I mean, that's probably what it'll end up being, but <laughs> yeah. just having that little bit of story behind it yeah, the, adds a little something. Yeah, the scenario itself we're going to play is uh, is a capture and hold, um, so the board will be broken up into segments, so you'll want to. we're going to be holding onto sections of the table, as it were. Um, so while there will be smashing each other and fighting and, and lots of killing per Kings of War or any tabletop war game, uh, it, it, there's other strategies there, and that's part of that appeal. Well, that's um, where we've really landed on too. Is I think our preferred like game mode is like yeah, the smash 'em up is fine, but I think where we've really landed is holding um like the like capture points, King of the Hill scenarios, because that's really mm-hmm. that's really where the strategy comes in, and that's where there's actually more tension. Because otherwise, you're just really rolling dice and sliding shit across the table. But when you're trying to hold strategic points, and there's value. And capturing a point and keeping it, it there, there's some really tense moments that we've had in the past. Definitely, um, and that that story thing is something that um, a friend of mine, uh, Matt, who I have been playing miniature games with since the beginning of me actually playing miniature games, um, we started doing that years ago. I mean, years and years ago, we we just decided like, okay, yeah, we're gonna go, we're gonna go fight, and it's gonna be a one on one thing, and we're gonna duke it out till somebody wins, right? But beforehand, we wanted to you know 
talk trash. We wanted to have a reason to do it. So we started naming characters um, and we started um, a process of like, if, if a, normally we don't get to play with all painted miniatures, obviously that's a goal I always have, but it never works out that way. But if an unpainted miniature ever does something fantastic and, and something crazy in the game, they get painted. And Matt and I have always done that over the years. Um, <laughs> That's a cool rule. Yeah, and like, and it's worked out. Like, and there's a story behind that. Um, and it's all it's fun. Like, that's just something that is is great. And obviously, do you guys it, think that that came from um, just kind of a way to spice it up, or do you think that came from having dabbled in you know role playing games or? If I remember correctly, you know, Matt may have even done more LARPing at one point. I mean, do you think that draws from any of that? Oh, it definitely draws from that. I mean, the, like, and yes, like all, for all of the things you just stated, like he's, uh, Matt has definitely been somebody that is, is dove in completely into gaming. I mean, he works for ACD, the, one of the largest game distributors that exists um, currently. So, I mean, like he, he lives and breathes games and, and part of the appeal is that, you know, when you have a backstory, like every, anybody can go pick up a game a war game and fight each other right or even just go over to a friend's place and play a war game and and it's my undead guys versus you're not undead guys why why would you why do they need to fight like and you just come up with you know a, a paragraph worth of things and suddenly you have a cool story about right it give pretty, it some flavor cool. i love that no i love that we've been doing that i think it's great absolutely especially for some of the more campaign type uh situations we've played through it's it's made for a good uh narrative yeah, I'm like my my goal is at some point to be able to get back to the point where we can play a few times a year where we have a long arc of story games that go back and forth. Well, it'll that just be, be really a matter of time till our children get older and then they think we're lame and then we're the dads that like to play with little painted miniatures and then they won't even want to be by us and we'll have so much time to play games together. That sounds like a dream. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> All right, well, I think that'll do it for us. Um, thank you for listening to episode number one of the Lost Dice Cast. Um, for more from us, check us out on lostdice.com or on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening. And check out the show notes for um, any links. Thanks. Thanks.